Good morning. How is everybody? Glad you guys survived the deluge so far with all the rain. We want to thank you for making worship a priority. If you're visiting with us, we want you to know that you're a special guest. We want you to feel right at home. In front of you, there's a connection card that we encourage both guests and members alike to fill out and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, a few announcements before we open up in prayer. Um, if you look in your bulletin, we're having a membership class next Sunday. It's called Starting Point, and that's for those of you who have visited and uh, want more information about the church. It is a prerequisite before you join and take this class, and basically it tells you the history of the church, where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. So that's uh, Sunday, uh, next Sunday at 1230 in my office, and you do have to sign up, so if you would please, uh, you can sign up on the connection card or Call the church office and lunch will be provided for that. If you would please go to the Lord with me in prayer and let's say a special prayer for those in Las Vegas and uh, those impacted by the hurricane as well this weekend. So if you will, as we pray, remember those. Father, we know there's a lot going on in our world and we just realize that, God, you're over it all and you're the God who sees everything that's going on and you enter into our suffering and our pain and we thank you for that. Father, we just want to take a moment in our service to remember all the victims in Las Vegas. God, for so many lives that have been lost and wounded and uh, at the expense of just someone that just went crazy and did the unthinkable. We just want to pray you be with the families, be with those who are still fighting for their lives in the hospital. And we just want to pray that you would bring healing and peace to those families. God, we know that this is a hard issue and that the gospel is the answer. And we just pray that as our world gets darker, that the church will get brighter and we will get the, the good news about Jesus out to the whole world and that we would fulfill that. Father, we also pray for those who have been impacted by the hurricane, Lord, that you would be with them. We know many are without power and many have lost lives with the past three hurricanes. And we just want to pray that as they pick up the broken pieces, that you would be with the families and those who are in the greatest need, that you would just touch them. Father, as we look into your word now, speak to our hearts, help us to understand it, and we just pray that we would be forever changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter 3, and we're, we're almost pretty much halfway through the book of James. How many of you have enjoyed the book of James so far? Not about you guys, but I have, and I've heard a lot of ouches after Sunday, and Pastor, you've been stepping on my toes, and I'm like, it's not me, it's James. I'm just delivering the message. Um, so today is a very practical message on wisdom, and today we're going to talk about there's two types of wisdom. There's seeing the world through earthly lens, and that's worldly wisdom, also called false wisdom. And the second wisdom is seeing the wisdom from God's side, from an eternal perspective, and that's heavenly wisdom or true wisdom. How many of you have ever known anybody that you consider street smarts? Um, many of us have known people like that. And, you know, there are some advantages to being street smarts. But if you're street smarts but don't have God's wisdom, then it can be a disadvantage. I, um, I had a pastor friend that um, I thought was, uh, had the godly wisdom, but he had the street smarts. And he was a charmer, a very charismatic person. People loved his, his preaching but over time, we began to sense red flags about this particular minister that something just wasn't right. And it came, it came out later that he was a wolf in sheep's clothing. He was a con artist. And 
it has really rattled everyone who knew this person because he studied the Bible, went to seminary, um, could preach with the best of them, but he didn't really have God's wisdom. He, he was living from a worldly point of view. And if you think if a pastor can do that, what about the rest of us? Many Christians sometimes suffer from what I called a uh, living under a false worldview, living under the worldly wisdom and not under God's wisdom. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this text, and James is going to take us between the two types of wisdom. Here's living horizontally. Here's living the way the world lives. And here's living vertically. Here's seeing the world from God's perspective. So let's jump into the scripture. And the question I want us to ask ourselves as we read this text is, are you, what kind of wise are you? Are you heavenly or worldly wise? So we're going to be in James 3, starting in verse 13. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly sensual and demonic for where envy and self-seeking exists confusion and every evil thing are there but the wisdom that is from above and he lists eight eight attributes for us is first of all pure then peaceable gentle willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. May God bless the reading of his word. So a little chart here, and this comes from Chuck Swindoll. He does a good job outlining this. If you have a phone, you may want to take a picture of this, not in your notes. But if you look at the unwise, um, there's two roots there. There's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. The wise, you see, is good behavior and good deeds. The unwise, we're going to break down. There's five characteristics of the unwise And there's eight characteristics of the wise. Now, if you look at the results, the unwise are those who live according to worldly wisdom. Their life is marked by disorder, or you could say chaos, and every evil deed. Now, the wise, you notice their life is marked by righteousness and peace. So if you guys look on the outcome, how many of us want to live in constant drama and just chaos? I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a life like that. My mother used to quote to me all the time a really good verse. She said, the way of the transgressor is hard. So, Timothy, if you want a hard life, go away from God's life. But the way of the righteous is like a pathway that God leads. So let's break this down. Let's look at what true wisdom is and true wisdom does. On your listening guide, the first point is this. Heavenly wisdom will show itself by living a consistent Christian lifestyle, by living a Consistent Christian lifestyle. Verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Now, how do you know if someone's truly wise or not? I mean, it's like if I could ask the church, how many of you say you're wise? You know, how many of us would raise our hands or be tempted to? Well, Proverbs gives us a really good illustration of what wisdom is. Wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is not just knowing the right thing. Wisdom is doing the right thing. And we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. So when he says, who is wise among you? Who's understanding? Notice it says, let him show it. A lot of times people say it, but they don't see it. A lot of Christians talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. 
People are not interested in your life commentary as much as they are in your life conduct. Many of us can articulate the Christian faith so well, but do people actually see it? Do they see us live it out? So, any Washington Redskins fans in here back in the day? Okay, Some of you remember Joe Gibbs. He was the uh, coach of the Redskins. And Joe Gibbs was a, a very dynamic coach. And he took the Redskins, as we know, to the Super Bowl and did, did amazing things. But on his way to the Super Bowl, um, his wife called him and said, you know, you've got to come home. Your teenage son is going crazy and, you know, you need to work on your parent skills. You've been working on the Super Bowl. And, and this was the week of the Super Bowl. And Joe Gibbs did like a lot of us guys would do. He basically said, how dare you? I, I'm in the middle of getting ready to win a Super Bowl and you, you're having teenage drama. We can handle this later. Soon as he said those words, God convicted him. Joe Gibbs is a Christian. And basically told him, you need to turn that car around, go back home. Because in a few years, no one's going to remember that you won the Super Bowl. But your family will still be there. So Joe Gibbs turned the car around, apologized to his wife and said, I'm so sorry for the pride. Because true wisdom shows itself through meekness. Now when you see that in verse 13, his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. In American culture, when you think of meekness, many people think of what? Weakness, right? But did you know that this word was used of a spirited stallion, a horse that had great strength but was trained? Now, is a broken horse just as strong as a wild horse? It still has the same strength. It's just power under control. So that's what James is saying is, listen, I know that you guys have a lot of things going for you. I know you have a lot of things in life that you're happy about and celebrate, but realize that if you're meek, It's not letting your rights be known, but it's having power under control. The meekness of wisdom. So on your listening guide, I have a wisdom principle. If you talk it, but you don't walk it, you ain't wise. If you talk it, but you don't walk it, you ain't wise. That's bad grammar, but good theology. Amen. So worldly wisdom will show that you you have it by your Christian character. It's consistent. Number two, worldly wisdom, on the other hand or we could say false wisdom, will show itself by a destructive lifestyle. Look at verses 14 through 16. It says, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. You know, so much of this world's advice is complete contrary to God's advice. When you, when you compare heavenly wisdom versus horizontal wisdom, worldly wisdom, it's totally different. And I have a few examples to give you. This is what the world teaches. So for those of you who are going off to university and colleges, this, you're going to hear some of this stuff. So this is Dr. Herbert Maurer of the University of Illinois. And I'm going to read his, what he said, quote, We psychologists have largely followed the Freudian doctrine that humans are too good. The patient has within him impulses, especially those of lust and hostility, which has been unnecessarily inhibiting. Health, we tell him, lies in recognizing and expressing these impulses. So the world psychology teaches the lust and the passion. You've got to go out there and do it because if you don't, you're going to be unhealthy. Now, does that line up with biblical wisdom? The Bible says you've got to put to death those desires, not live them out. 
Let me give you another. This is Dr. Hans Selv in his book, Stress Without Problems. How many of us want stress without problems? All of us. He says, a strong dose of selfishness is the best way to achieve a happier, saner society. To love your neighbor as yourself is biological heresy. Now, does that sound like biblical wisdom? (laughs) He says, being selfish is actually good for you. Now, from life experience, we know that's not true. I mean, we can see that in the Bible, but those who pursue happiness are the most unhappy people there are. So James lays out a, a contrast between here's what God's wisdom is and here's, here's what worldly wisdom. If you'll notice, the unwise people always want what they don't have. That's what we call envy. But wise people enjoy what they do have. This is the art of contentment. Have you ever noticed that so many people try to keep up with the Joneses? You know, the old syndrome, like my neighbor has a nicer car than I have, nicer house, whatever, and I try to compete with them and keep up with them. But godly wisdom teaches you don't have to have envy. Did you know that there's a difference between envy and jealous, jealousness or jealousy? I, I never knew this until I researched it, but envy is someone having empty hands wanting what's in your hands. It's what you don't have you want. Jealousy is what you do have and you're trying to hold on to it. You've heard of people being jealous of something they have. They're, they're a jealous husband, jealous spouse. So envy is usually a two-party system. I don't have, they have, I want what they have. Jealousy is a three-party system. Okay, I have something, here's the other person or other thing, and a third party's involved, and I'm jealous. Now, we know that jealousy can be a good thing if it's in a healthy way, but jealousy can also be a bad thing. We know that God is a jealous God, but his jealousy is a holy thing. For us, when we're usually jealous, is it usually a holy thing or not a holy thing? Usually we're overprotective and over-controlling. So for us, it's usually not in a good sense. But James says, don't go after bitter envy. In studying this, I, I found out that the word bitter, it was used of undrinkable water. Have you ever noticed that when someone's envious, it kind of poisons them? It makes them think, man, everyone's got something I wish I had. And it makes them feel this polluted. It usually ends up into a harsh attitude towards others. You've heard the term green with envy, green with jealousy. What about self-seeking? Whereas envy is wanting what someone else has, self-seeking is looking out for yourself. Self-seeking is the idea that my needs, my interests comes above anyone else, even at the expense of other people. This Greek word came to describe anyone who entered politics for selfish reasons and sought to achieve his agenda at any cost, even if it meant trampling on others. Do we see any of this in our world today? Self-seeking? James says, if that's your kind of wisdom, if you're envious, if you have self, selfish ambition or self-seeking, he says, don't lie about it. Don't boast against the truth. So unwise people live in self-deception. They're self-deceived. You ever wonder why so many people have it all wrong and they think they're all right? It's because of deception. Because generally as humans, we don't want to live in a way that's logically inconsistent. People live by a certain type of logic. The problem is, is it's the worldly worldly logic that's not lining up. But wise people are constantly taking a look at themselves. This is what we call introspection. They're saying, how am I? Am I living by the worldly ways of wisdom or am I living by God's ways? 
If you look at your listening guide, Charles Stanley, I got a quote from him. I thought this is really good. He says, when we envy others, the enemy is successful in shifting our focus away from God and onto our circumstances. We become distracted, prideful, and covetousness. Our eyes are fixed on our circumstances and the rights that we believe we deserved, and we end up making unwise decisions. This prevents us from enjoying God's blessings. Now, isn't that true? And the truth be known, we've all lived in this at different times, different points. Notice in verse 15, he says, this type of wisdom, this self-seeking, this envious. Notice, he says, it doesn't descend from above, but is what? It's earthly. In other words, there's no divine revelation. It's simply of the earth. It's temporal. So James contrasts this with the wisdom from above. He says, people are living just by the world. It's of the earth. The problem with that is there's no divine revelation. They're living by things that may not line up with God's word and his will. What about sensual? Sensual is basically the natural desires. These are living by your own internal instincts and desires. The mantra of sensual living is God just wants me to be happy. That's the mantra of the sensual person. The problem is the Bible never tells us that. God wants us to be holy. God wants us to be joyful. He's, he's delighted when we're happy. But in this world, we're not promised happiness. But so many of us seek after that. That's the American dream is the pursuit of happiness. But what about God's dream? Isn't it the pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of love, pursuit of chasing after him? So James says when you live by just down here earthly standards, you live by your own impulses, the five senses of taste, touch, smell, and so forth, that's really not going to help you to walk the life, the life that God wants you to live. Now, you notice the law of diminishing return. It goes from earthly to sensual, and then it goes to demonic. Now, many people don't get to this level, but the demonic level is where instead of hearing just the voices of this culture, you begin to hear in the voice of the enemy. We learned last week that James says the tongue that's unbridled is set on fire by where? By hell itself. So you kind of follow the trend that James is giving when someone's walking according to the course of this world, meaning they don't care about God. They're, they're going by their feelings. If it feels good, just go after it. The eventual law of diminishing return is it gets even worse, demonic. So when you live in a worldly wisdom for too long, pleasing your senses without taking care of your soul, eventually you open yourself up to unhealthy voices. And I got a few verses on your outline. If you look at 1 Corinthians 2, this contrasts God's wisdom with the world's wisdom. It says, when we tell you these things, we don't use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds like foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Have you ever talked to someone about your faith, and they're just like, that may be good for you, but that's, that's out there? Well, this verse tells us why, because people who aren't spiritual, they don't get the things of the spirit of the spirit. Second Corinthians 11. It says, and no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers 
also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So you see the contrast in the two wisdoms there, God's wisdom versus the world's wisdom. So it brings up a question, the Las Vegas shooting, why? Why did it happen? They're searching for motive. They can't seem to find one. Um, There seems to be no answer. But from Scripture, we know why bad things happen. I'm going to give you a few references not in your outline. John 8.44, it says that Satan is a murderer and a liar. So guess what? People who murder and people who commit such atrocities, guess who they're following? Obviously not God. John 10.10 tells us, Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. But then he tells us the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. So whenever there's killings, there's destructions, and there's people taking innocent lives, you know it's not the wisdom from above. It's this worldly wisdom that leads downward from earthly, sensual, to demonic. So we may not know someone's motives, but we know who's motivating it behind the scenes. And that's, that's what we've got to pray is God will change the heart. So what is the solution to the crisis we're facing? It's a heart change. It's people receiving Christ into their lives and their lives change. The problem why people commit such atrocities is that their heart is going by worldly wisdom. And eventually the self-seeking leads to self-destruction. And you see in James it goes from earthly to sensual to demonic. If it's not left in check. And that's really hard. If you look at verse 16. He talks about where jealousy and selfish ambition exists. Um, Envy is the idea that I'm not happy. And guess what? If you're not if you're happy, I'm not happy that you're happy. And James says, listen, that's that's not wisdom. And when this happens, it produces self-seeking. And we know that self-seeking goes nowhere. And in our world today, when we look at the, verse 16, it makes me think that people are pursuing all these things, worldly wisdom, but it doesn't really line up with reality. They're going after physical pleasure without true commitment. They're going after great money and status without great sacrifice or generosity. They're trying to pursue happiness apart from holiness. So when you go after this type of wisdom, it's a dead end street. It doesn't go anywhere. It reminds me, you guys remember the story of Jesus rebuking Peter? It's found in Matthew 16, verses 21 through 23. Basically, Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to have to go to the cross. But that didn't line up with where Peter was thinking at that moment. And by the way, Peter had had heavenly wisdom. He said, Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God. And all of a sudden, Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. And look what Jesus says to him. He says, get behind me, Satan. For you are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And that's what James is trying to contrast here. Like, okay, you can live by divine revelation, or you can live by this rat race down here on earth, the worldly wisdom. Everyone trying to get ahead of each other. And James tells us, if you live this way, it produces confusion. How many people do you know that you work with that are in your family They're just always in a state of drama and confusion. How many people do you know that it seems like their life is one bad situation after another and it's not because of just circumstances, it's because of choices? James tells us 
This wisdom produces confusion and every evil thing. On the positive note, let's look at verse 17. Many of you are like, let's get past verse 16, Timothy. All right, verse 17, it contrasts worldly wisdom. True wisdom reflects the character of God. I love verse 17. By the way, there's eight attributes of true wisdom. And this really helps us to think through it. If you look at your listening guide, I've outlined it for you, the different different words. It says, the wisdom that from above is, first of all, pure. It's not just first on a list, but I think this is priority. It's if you're really seeking after God, it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they are the ones who are seeking after God. And I, I think he lists pure here because it means holy. It means true. It means sincere. Don't you want people in your lives that are sincere? People that are you, you really know what you're going to get because that's who they are. Peaceable. This means people that love and pursue peace. Tranquil. How many of you enjoy relationships that are full of drama? Every time you know that family member, that friend calls, it's going to be drama. James says, listen, if someone's falling after God's wisdom, it doesn't mean life's going to be easy, but they'll be marked by peace. Now, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is being in the midst of storm and having that inner tranquility of your soul, even though all of hell is breaking loose against you. What about gentle? It means fair, equitable, balanced, mild, consideration for others. How many of you married people could use some gentleness in your marriage? If your spouse practiced this, being mild, being fair, being balanced. And all the spouses said, Amen. Willing to yield. By the way, these are all practical. You can apply these to family, to marriage, to work, and it's going to really help you and help myself. Willing to yield. This means ready to obey, willing to submit, compliant to others. In other words, I am teachable. If you show me a truth that I'm not living, and I know it lines up with the heavenly wisdom, I'm willing to change. That's what that verb means, being teachable. Abraham Lincoln, I love this story about him. He was put under some pressure about relocating some soldiers and giving them a transfer. But Edwin Stanton, who at that time was a secretary of war, said Abraham Lincoln is a fool and he doesn't know what he's talking about. Now, if you were Abraham Lincoln, I, I would say, excuse me, do you know who I am? But Abraham Lincoln said Edward Stanton is usually right. So if he says I'm a fool, I probably am. So instead of pushing back into a war of egos, he decided I'm going to go up front and see what's going on in the front lines of the battle. And he realized that Edward Stanton was right. As he went to go see Stanton, he realized that he made a serious mistake. Had he continued on with what he thought was right, he would have lost probably many soldiers that day. And that's what it means to be willing to yield. The attitude of worldly wisdom is my way or the highway. The attitude of heavenly wisdom is, let's look at your way. Let's see, let's see where God's leading this. Also, full of mercy. That means kindness or goodwill towards the miserable, the afflicted, with a desire to help them. Now, some of you really have the gift of mercy. How many of you know someone who has the gift of mercy? A lot of you ladies have that. Now, the idea of justice is, man, that person deserves what they got. They made their bed. It's time for them to lay in it. But a merciful person says, I don't care how they got there. They need help. I'm going to reach out to them. Thank God for merciful people. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be what? Shown mercy. Full of good fruits. I love how heavenly wisdom produces fruits. Notice it's plural. 
And this is the idea of if you're living in God's wisdom, if you're living with divine revelation how you should live your life, it's going to show in your friendships. Your friendships are going to be thriving and growing. doesn't mean there won't be times where you have difficulties in your friendships. Your family doesn't mean your family life will be perfect, but you're going to see fruit come out eventually by living that kind of wisdom. Notice it says without partiality. This means it's not indecisive. It's not a side taker. It's unwavering. How many of you want this in your friendships? You don't want someone that's going to be a side taker. You want someone that's going to be unwavering by your side. James says this is the type of wisdom from above. And then he says without hypocrisy. Many of us know about the Greek plays, how they would have a big crowd. And usually the actors, they would be a few actors for many reasons. One is they had to split the, the profit. So if you had more actors, you made less money. So generally an actor would play at least two roles. So whenever someone was a, a fun person and wanted people to laugh, they'd come out with a smiley face. Whenever it was a villain, they would change the mask and they would put the sinister face on there. And people would, oh, it's the villain. Um, and they would, they would switch the mask. So James says, if you're living by God's wisdom, you're not a mask wearer. You are authentic. What you see is what you get. Philippians 4.8, Paul gives us another summary. It's comparable to this about heavenly wisdom. This is the way we think if we're walking in heavenly wisdom. He says, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be anything praiseworthy, what? Meditate on these things. So that's one of the applications. If you want to have God's wisdom, you obviously have to be filled with God's spirit, but you have to put God's word into your mind. And as you think it, you start to become it. Amen? And finally, to kind of summarize the, the comparison between the two wisdoms, true wisdom reaps peace. While false wisdom reaps confusion. Verse 16, it says, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So guys, here's the, here's the bottom line. If you are full of drama in your marriage, in your relationships, you've got to ask yourself, is this God's wisdom or is this worldly wisdom? If, if I'm not yielding, if it's my way or the highway, it's that God's wisdom or the worldly wisdom. A lot of times with worldly wisdom, it's this is my rights. This is what I deserve. God's wisdom is this is what God wants me to do, whether I feel like it or not. Somebody said, ouch, right? So for your benefit and your edification, I came up with a little, I created a little wisdom test. This is for you to do. You can do it now or later. Um, this is a scale of one to five. One, seldom true. Three, normally Five, mostly. And as I read this, <laughs> we're like, ouch. First question is, I often find myself thinking I'm smarter and more gifted than everybody else. <laughs> Number two, I'm unhappy with my life right now and find myself looking at the lives of others, wishing my life was more like their life. So what this looks like when you go on Facebook and there's a highlight reel and so-and-so's at the beach, so-and-so's eating a steak dinner and you're sitting there with ramen noodle, you're like, oh, this ain't right. Number three, I would classify my thinking as lining up with mainstream culture on moral issues. In other words, when it comes to morality, I'm kind of mainstream. Number four, I struggle with being impatient with others, and I wish that they would simply get with the program. A lot of the men said, ouch, with that. (laughs) 
When it comes to making decisions, there, when there are two equal decisions on the table, it's my way or the highway. Now, I have a little legend on how to score yourself. You can do that later. But I want to close with this story. Adoram Judson. Judson was a famous missionary. He was the first American missionary. And he's really a hero to many, to many Christians, especially to people who are in the ministry, uh, missionaries and pastors. But he went to Burma, which is modern-day Myanmar. And after living just a really hard life, I don't have time to go into details, but while he's on a mission field, his three children died and his wife died. And he just had one situation after another. Um, he, he, he basically left behind 7,000 Burmese believers. But you want to hear the rest of the story. This is the story before this, or we know about his success. But he was raised in a Christian home, and he went off to a university called Brown University. And he, he was trying to be solid in his Christian faith. But he met a student by the name of Jacob Emes. And Jacob Emes was a guy that was a philosopher, brilliant mind, and he was brilliant when it came to worldly wisdom. And over time, Judson became friends with Jacob. And over time, Jacob influenced him to the point that Judson decided on his 20th birthday he was going to renounce his Christian faith. He's like, I don't believe in it any longer. And he became the valedictorian of, of the university, graduated. He moved to New York. He decided he was going to write plays. He was going to be a playwriter. And in time, he just realized this, this really is not satisfying. He had renounced his faith to his family on his 20th birthday, decided I'm not going to be a Christian. I'm just going to walk the ways of this world and see how much fame and status I can get. So as Judson was uh, leaving New York and he was traveling, he decided to stop in this little town in a hotel. And he checked into the hotel at the night and the the um, person at the front desk, the receptionist, said, well, there's one thing i got to tell you. There's only one room, and one thing you need to be aware of, the person next to, to that room is dying. So you may want to think twice if you want a good night's sleep. And Justin was just so tired, he's like, I don't care, give me the room. So he checked into that room that night, and all through the night he heard screaming and groaning as the person next to him was dying. And Justin thought to himself, is this man prepared for death? Is this... This is really all that matters. See, he was taught a philosophy in college that death is kind of like nothing. It's a door into an empty pit. And his friend, Jacob, taught him this. And he could hear Jacob's voice in his, his mind saying, Judson, are you really thinking about all this religious nonsense? But over and over he could hear this voice screaming out into the night. Eventually the voice stopped. So Judson got up the next morning. And the sun started shining through his window, and he's like, okay. I had a little weakness, weakness moment thinking about religion. So he got ready, decided to go on to the next day. He went to the front desk, and he asked the, the person at the front desk, what happened to the guy next door? Um, his voice stopped during the night, and the, the person at the front desk said, unfortunately, the person died last night. And Judson said, well, do you know his name? Who was he? And he said, well, it's a young man from a local college. His name is Jacob Emis. Judson could hardly move. This is the guy that he looked up as a hero. And he felt such guilt and shame that this guy went into eternity and I didn't knock on his door. I didn't share anything with him. I just let him go. 
And I want to read you a quote from Judson. This is something he wrote after this, this situation happened. He spent hours in his room and pondered and reflected. He says, lost in death, Jacob Emus was lost, utterly lost, irrevocably lost, lost to his friends, lost to this world, lost to the future, lost as a puff of smoke is lost in the infinity of air. If Emus' own words were true, neither his life nor his death meant anything. But suppose he had been mistaken. Suppose that the scriptures were literally true and a personal God was real. For that hell shouldn't open in that country in and snatch Jacob Emis, my dearest friend and guy, from the next bed. This could not, simply could not be a coincidence. So that was the story. Judson gave his life back over to Christ, surrendered, and he went on the mission field. So whenever he went through suffering, he could hear those, that voice in his head. And he realized life is short. I can live by worldly wisdom and end up like my friend that when he died, he had no hope. Or I can live by divine revelation, wisdom from above, and realize there's more to this world than meets the eye. Quick review. Today we talked about how heavenly wisdom will show itself by living a consistent Christian lifestyle. If your life is all over the place, you've got to ask yourself, am I living by two types of wisdom? And James told us before that a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. Number two, worldly wisdom will show itself by a destructive lifestyle. Whenever you have envy, self-seeking, it says there's confusion, there's disorder, there's every evil thing. And number three, true wisdom reflects the character of God. When we walk in God's ways and his wisdom, it will reflect what God's really like. God is love and God is holy. And finally, true wisdom reaps peace while false wisdom, wisdom reaps confusion. So I ask you the question, even as Christians, you can live by either wisdom. Has worldly wisdom got you anywhere other than trouble and drama and chaos and conflict? If we look at our lives, much of the conflict in, in family life and marriage and relationships is because one or both parties are living by a different type of wisdom. So here's the challenge today. Your take-home truth. True wisdom leads to right living, while false wisdom leads to crisis and conflict. So the take-home truth is this. What type of wise are you? Are you worldly wise? Are you living by a different type of wisdom, by heaven's wisdom? Let's pray. Father, I know this message was convicting. I know myself, as I worked through the scripture, I was really challenged. And I read, when I read about Judson's story and his friend, I know there's many people today that have been taught in the university or in the workplace a different type of wisdom. And they've called the Bible old-fashioned. They've called it irrelevant. And God, we realize that these are just lies from the enemy. Because worldly wisdom ends up in confusion and every evil practice. But godly wisdom... It leads to those eight attributes we talked about, about being peaceable and willing to yield and gentle. So, Father, I want to talk to the believers first of all as everyone's praying. How many of you would say, Timothy, sometimes I struggle in this world by living by God's wisdom. And today, James kind of gave me a wake-up call. I want to be more yielding. 
I want to be more peaceable. I don't want my life to be filled with drama and conflict. So today I want to make the commitment to try to fill my mind with God's truth so that I can live in God's wisdom. If that's you, raise your hand. I'll raise my hand with you. Father, you see the hands going up. Please forgive us, Father, for where we haven't walked in your ways all our days. Like Judson, help us remember the sovereignty of God, that you are faithful and you're sovereign. And you put us in places for a reason. While the believers are still praying, would there be one here that would say, Timothy, you know, you talked about wisdom. And really, I've been living by the world's ways. I've been going by what feels good. I've been pursuing happiness. And I've ended up depressed. I've ended up sad. I thought the world would make me happy, but it didn't. That's you. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand, but where you're sitting right now, just say a prayer of faith in your heart. If you're willing to give your life to Jesus, to surrender, to ask for his forgiveness of your sins, right where you're sitting, you can say, Jesus, I've been walking in the world's ways and look at me. It's made me depressed. It's made me unhappy. It's produced so much drama. And Jesus, I'm willing to turn the keys of my life over to you. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins for living in the world's ways. And you can confess what those are while you're praying. And Jesus, I pray that you would step out of heaven and into my life, into my heart. I surrender my life to you. I make you my Lord and Savior. I I, I ask you to help me not to walk in the world's ways anymore, but to walk in your ways. Ways of peace and ways of fruitfulness. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, you've heard our prayers, you've heard our confession where we've fallen short of you. Help us to live vertically. Help us to live by wisdom that comes from above, not horizontal wisdom that leads to chaos, confusion, and conflict. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. We submit to its revelation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time, if you would please stand. I know today was a challenging message. All week as I've prepared for this, obviously, I'm convicted. If you want to respond in a way of surrendering this area of your life to Christ, maybe you've, you've lived in worldly wisdom, maybe the university, maybe the job. Uh, we want to pray for you. Maybe there's someone that you need to come down and pray for that you know that a family member is not walking the way they should. I'll be at the front, Adam, Miss Judy. If you have a prayer need, we'll be here to meet you at the front. So come as the Lord leads.